tuning into the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Anne Cavassa, president of Saucony, best known for running shoes. In the last year, more people have become runners with gyms temporarily closed. I wanted to ask Anne how the company leaned into that opportunity, plus how it's remained competitive with more brands entering the performance wear space. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Jill. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being here. Um, Well, indeed, um, throughout the pandemic, we have seen runners and anyone actually um, just looking to get outside um, coming to the brand. So whether they're walking, hiking, running, or just general activity, um, we have been seeing an increase in consumers coming to the brand. We're really excited about it. I would say that um, the running boom is real. Um, uh, we're, I think all brands across the industry are seeing this. And what we're doing really specifically is we're making sure that we're um, connecting with and engaging with consumers where they're at. So whether they're experienced runners and they're running more, whether they're new to running, whether they're walkers coming in, whether they're on trails, whether they're hiking, really making sure that we're communicating with them um, in how they need to and want to be communicated with and what the topics are. So whether that's around what shoes they need, um, what their training should look like, uh, what their diet should look like, all of those things around running and the running lifestyle we've been um, we've been working on from a communication perspective and from an inspirational perspective, I would say. Okay. So would you say your marketing strategy, I mean, a 180, you flipped it last year? No, I would not say that. I would say um, <laughs> are absolutely a um, technical performance running brand and we serve runners. So as people have, as gyms have closed and if people have turned to other things, it's really just recognizing who people are and where they're at in their running journey and what they need to know. So yeah. I would say it's more content and it's everything from beginner to experience, really. So it's a similar content strategy. It's just more of it. Okay, great. Did that involve new hires or just, I don't know, maybe more more hands on deck in terms of the content? Well, um, not more hires. Um, I would say more focus and really trying to understand our consumers and what's happening out there. So we have had we have an internal team that's focused on consumer insights and market intelligence. So they've been out there very, very active throughout the last 12, 15 months globally, um, trying to understand where people are at, not just in their physical fitness, but also in their mental state and how they're dealing with the pandemic. So we're seeing that on a regular basis and responding to that. So I would say early on, you know, it was all about like the fear of the gym and trying to find something else to do and just needing to educate people on footwear. Um, And then it really became around like motivation and people continuing to be motivated. We also saw that people were really caring about what a brand stands for and what they're leaning into with particularly in the U S with all the social unrest that was happening last year. And so, um, you know, we really believe in just staying in touch and in real close communication with our consumers so we can respond to them with what they're needing at the moment. Where was that content living in order to meet the runner, the customer, where they are? uh, Where were you shooting it out, I guess? We've been very focused from a social perspective and we drive all social channels. Um, 
I would say also from a digital media perspective, we've been um, focused on um, connected TV a bit on a specific audience. So we've been um, putting more content out that way. And then I would also say on our own, um, on Saucony.com, as well as our retail partners, um, digital, you know, e-commerce platforms, we've provided content there as well. Let's talk about that. Uh, wholesale versus DTC. What are your, what's the breakdown these days? Well, we have a very strong um, wholesale business. We are, so Saucony is, um, you know, we're a 120-year-old brand that has a global yes. presence. We're in approximately 120 countries also. And so um, a long history of wholesale, of a wholesale um you know, business. And we have been developing our e-commerce for years now. We think obviously direct to consumer and engaging directly is very important. I would say as retail shut down, our e-commerce channels and our retailers e-commerce, we saw exactly what everyone else is seeing. We saw a pickup in um, digital channels. Um, and we believe that 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 direct-to-consumer is critically important. We also believe, as we move forward, we also believe that unified commerce and creating a brand experience that is consistent from a brand storytelling and what and a brand positioning perspective, but that leans into the channel that the consumer is shopping in or participating in, that it's really important to understand those specific needs um, and service across the board. So that's kind of the journey that we're on right now. Obviously, with Saucony.com being kind of our brand hero and the best that you can get of our brand and that D2C is um, we're leading from a digital perspective and a digital direct to consumer perspective. Yeah. What's been the secret to telling that brand story uh, through a retail partner in their stores, uh, maybe differentiating when someone's shopping for the next running shoe? Well, why yours, I guess, while they're in the store? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think particularly as it rate relates to performance running shoes, um, I think authenticity is critical. Um, and that that runners, you know, they they need to trust in their product and you build loyalty very quickly. Once you have, um, you know, a runner in your shoes and they love them, you build loyalty. And so that authentic that authenticity as a credible performance running brand is critical. Um, I would say then it comes down to, um, um, you know, those retailers bringing that first wave of boxes out of the back room and getting the opportunity to try on at that first, that first, um, like it's usually three shoes to begin with or three brands to begin with. And so, um, you know, step in feel, I would say is absolutely critical. Um, like the first jog in the store or around the block is really critical. And then kind of over miles, how that um, fit, feel and function um, serves the runner. And then, uh, so what's critical in the store, going back to your question, is that you make sure that you are top of mind from a brand perspective and that the kids on the floor are really, um, you know, they're, they're heralding your brand and they're willing to bring you out um, and compete with the best brands out there for sure. Well, I'm talking a lot about the running shoes. What would you say is your breakdown uh, between you do apparel as well uh, between maybe, yeah, 
performance running sneakers and other products. Is that is that the core product as I as I imagine? Um, yes, I would say that um, you know we are a performance running brand. That is the core. That what that's what drives us. Even our originals business was originally um, performance running product. So um, you know we are pre earnings call. I can't tell you the breakdown and give you numbers, but I would tell you that we have a very meaningful lifestyle business in our originals collection. Um, We have the Jazz Original, which is a shoe on the lifestyle side that um, is this year celebrating its 40th anniversary um, that rivals, from a unit's perspective, our core performance shoes. And then our apparel business is um, a critical piece from a brand perspective of being able to service head to toe. We have um, key performance pieces as well as some some styles that you'd love to just hang out with um, that just is we're able to service a runner and or kind of a lifestyle consumer head to toe. Yes. Oh my gosh. Tell me the name of the, again, of the shoe that's just celebrated 40 years. I, I saw some, some fun marketing. Um, it's being embraced by fashion streetwear community, correct? But what yeah. did you do to kind of celebrate that in a big way? Well, so um, the jazz original um, that design was, it was designed in 1981 um, and so we're celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. And it's an incredible, incredible shoe. Um, you know, really when we, when we designed that, we gave birth to kind of a classic runner and a style icon. I mean, the creation of the jazz trainer, it brought us back to kind of our original ambition of producing the finest, most innovative footwear in the world. Um, but it's a classic running low top silhouette. And at the time it was declared best quality um, running trainer in the eighties. And it's really a testament um, to the quality that remains what Saucony is known for. And it's really one of our most coveted um, styles of today. And in 1981, we partnered with both athletes and a leading podiatrist. His name was Frank Santo Piatro um, to offer a really innovative design that focused on reducing weight, achieving greater balance, and ultimately a better experience for the runner. And I would say kind of the low key style of the jazz is really has been that kind of iconic style throughout the 40 years. And it's what really appeals to the sneaker and the lifestyle consumer is that authenticity that it was a real runner. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about the 100, another anniversary. You're more than 120 years old, I guess. Um, but yes, I, the brand has evolved, evolved, evolved. I know uh, recently you've made some headway, some, um, I guess, yeah, progress around sustainability in your styles. But also I know the performance features. Um, I mean, that's innovation that everyone's really competing on. Would love to know, you know, as everybody's <laughs> competing in this space to be more sustainable, to be more performance uh, focused or to pro- provide more performance, uh, let's just say performance. <laughs> what's the secret to, I guess, remaining on the cutting edge? Is there an innovation lab? What What's happening in-house? Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I do think that innovation is what fuels Saucony and, and I think what fuels the industry. And so um, we do have an innovation roadmap. We do have a human performance lab in our building where we have all the equipment needed to test out our innovations. Um, and, um, from an innovation perspective, we really think about, um, how do we improve the runner's experience and what are the technologies to do so? 
And then simultaneously, we're also pushing ourselves on a sustainability perspective and believing that if we can reduce our footprint through sustainability and drive, you know, improvement in performance in a running shoe, that those two things coming together would just be, um, you know, an incredible kind of moonshot for us. So we're absolutely focused on both things. We, um, we recently launched about a year ago, and you're seeing updates now to it, our Endorphin collection. It's the Endorphin Pro, the Endorphin Speed, and the Endorphin Shift. And those have our most advanced midsole technology, um, as well as speed roll in um, kind of just helping you move forward as you're running. And we are continuing to ask ourselves, how do we improve that experience? How do we make product lighter? How do we make it faster? How do we make it bouncier? So you'll see us doing that on the performance side of things. And then we don't want to compromise performance because that's who we are at the core. So simultaneously, we're we're driving our sustainability engine. And I would say the first thing that we did on the footwear side, um, actually, Worth noting that in apparel two years ago, we pivoted and every single piece in our apparel line um, is built from sustainable materials. So we made that move a couple of years ago. And then recently, we just brought to market what we're calling um, the Jazz Court RFG, the Run for Good Court. And it's... um, it is um, our most sustainable product currently. It's made with only a handful of materials, cotton, jute, wool, rubber, wood, gardenia, and beet. And these familiar renewable materials, they're visually reflected in the shoes, kind of natural canvas upper, interior lining, and made with plant-dyed cottons. And it's absolutely... um, a project that really forced us and pushed us in our thinking around sustainability. And we really leveraged kind of 120 years of industry leadership, blending really classic shoemaking along with modern manufacturing to not only emit plastics from the style, but also minimize energy and chemical use during the manufacturing process. So we launched that um, last month. Um, It's our first step of really um, on our innovation roadmap around sustainability. And you'll start to see us bringing that into the performance line as we move forward this year. Yeah. So your sustainability goals, is that a five-year plan? Is it a 10-year plan? Um, Yeah. How far ahead are you planning? Well, we're planning way far out. It would be wonderful to admit um, all plastics. It is a very, very lofty thing in the performance running shoe marketplace. And so we have short-term goals um, that we're just to ensure that we're tracking on our progress. And um, in August, as we're tracking towards that, starting in, um, I I think it's August, it might just be the fall season, excuse me on that, that every new performance style, all of our shoes will include recycled content. So that's that first step towards 100% recycled content um, that gets us on our path for sure. So yes, yeah, you are describing that all I'm calling it the all natural shoe. But um, what does it take to really communicate what that shoe is the um, yeah, sustainability level of sustainability um, that it incorporates to the consumer? Do they want to know all that you just told me? I actually think behind the scenes in what we have to do as a brand to be able to claim things 
isn't necessarily what the consumer wants. I think the consumer wants the story about why we built the RFG court shoe and um, why it's a moonshot for us to drive sustainability and what those materials are and how does the shoe break down and just walking them through the construction, the, the design process, the construction process, and all of those just incredible story that we can tell around this sneaker. I think that's really what the consumer wants. Let's circle back. You were talking about um, during the pandemic, really meeting the the customer where they are, um, the community, the running community that was that was um, emerging. Um, I know you have some really cool things that I I came across on your Instagram. Has Run Club been around for a while? And I know like today, I think it kicked off today. Like there's a Grand Prix challenge. It's just like running challenges. Talk about like I guess how you're fueling the community. Does it go beyond that? Is that a core a core feature of that? Absolutely. So um, as a brand, our our purpose, when we think about what we're here for, we really believe in this transformative power running. And it's all about empowering the human spirit with every stride on every run and in every community and recognizing that those running communities are really, really important and powerful for people. And so through the pandemic, um, you know, it has been something that we've been talking about as a running community of how do you continue to foster this for those that have had this physical experience on a regular basis with their local running community? And then how do you bring new people into it during a pandemic when everything is digital? And so, you know, we've partnered a ton with our retail partners to continue driving um, in their local area, whether it's digital content, whether it's like showing up for curbside pickup or things like that. But from a brand, we felt like it's also really important to connect with runners and welcome people in. And Strava has been our medium. So you will have seen September 60. And now you're seeing the Grand Prix and really encouraging people to join the Saucony Run Club through Strava. And we've seen tremendous growth there. Um, and it's really just to connect and engage and continue to motivate people to run. Um, I think people inherently like the challenge of whether it's longer distance, whether it's faster time, whether it's more people, whether it's more events. And so it's just a really nice way to continue that community connection through the pandemic. And um, I don't see that slowing down, actually, as as we, um, you know, as the world kind of opens up, what I think will probably happen is those digital opportunities to connect and engage will move forward, but we're going to see like, you know, we truly believe in the roaring 20s, right? And that everybody's going to come out to celebrate. And for us as a brand that's coming together and running together and as a running community, I think it's the same thing. So we expect, you know, the fall marathon season and race season around the globe, you know, knock on wood to be very strong and very vibrant and, and kind of this um, renaissance of running in person together. Yeah. What can you tell me about customer loyalty? I would think the addictive nature of running <laughs> really helps you out here. Absolutely. I think that um, runners are very, um, A, they're incredibly passionate about running. And, you know, they say that 50% of runners love to run and 50% hate to run, but all of them experience the good benefits of running, right? So even if you're coming right. into it from walking, let's say, um, through the pandemic, or, you know, you aren't like an avid runner, you aren't out there all the time, I do think it is addictive. And so, um, you know, everybody wants to continue their fitness routine. And so staying um, staying uninjured, continuing, you know, like being able to continue yeah. to run or to move or whichever, you know, whatever you're doing, whether it's walking, running, hiking, et cetera, that's a top priority once you're addicted. 
Um, and so you you come to know the shoes that are right for you and you are very, very loyal to them. And so you'll see repeat purchase of about two and a half times a year of the same model. And then you'll also find that runners who come to know their model, like as you update them in our industry, most shoes are updated on an annual basis. As you update those, they get very passionate about the last one that worked for them and want to make sure that the next one is indeed an improvement um, and not something that changes their their shoe, um, you know, theirs with a capital T, right? So they become very loyal to it. I also think from a brand perspective, um, um, when you're in the running community, you tend to really engage with your community and, and, and Saucony is a part of that. And so I think you start to build an emotional connection, not just around a shoe that sometimes is a functional emotional connection, but also around just the brand and what you stand for and what your community stands for. And so we tend to get people who are highly, highly engaged, not just from a purchase perspective, but from a community and a brand perspective as well. Yes. You mentioned that um, annual update of the shoe styles. Tell me how often you're releasing new new product. Obviously, it's it's different than the usual fashion cycle. Yes, for sure. So um, we release um, an update to our core franchise models about once every 12 months. And what you will okay. find is that, um, and technology, I would say midsole technology specifically is usually updated every 12 to 24 months. So let's say we launch a brand new shoe with a brand new midsole. We're probably going to give it an update um, in 12 months it will likely have an upper update um, and not a midsole update. Sometimes you're able to like really advance innovation and move things forward. And then that would be a reason to update the entire, the entire shoe, but often it's the upper. And then that second year, um, the entire shoe gets the update. So talk about 2020 in terms of the challenges. It wasn't all, I mean, everyone faced their fair share of challenges. What were some of yours and how would you say that um, you ended the year in terms of where your expectations, projections were uh, when when starting 2020. Yeah, in 2020, um, I like to say it was really a tale of two stories. We came into the year, um, we had just updated, um, we just introduced our Power Run technology, which is at three levels, Power Run, Power Run Plus, and Power Run PB. We had just introduced that new technology. And we were we had high high expectations, and then the pandemic hit. Um, and we um, we actually were in Atlanta for the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, and it was just really fun celebration. And the first time that we got our Endorphin Pro that used that Power Run PB out in the marketplace, and it just had great success and great feedback from elite runners. And right after that, um, the pandemic hit and kind of shut everything down. So um, I would say you know, similar to the market, a lot of uncertainty, people didn't know everything shut down. And you're kind of like yeah. waiting what's going to happen. Well, we strongly believed we saw probably six weeks in that um, this running boom and this outdoor boom was really going to happen. People were starting to figure out what what are they going to do for for fitness, um, or for mental health, really, it was both of those things. And so we started to see that it was really important to continue to while retail was shut down, um, you know, likely the largest challenge, right? How could we lean into that and continue to allow our retailers to do business and to make it through this? So um, curbside pickup was a big deal. Um, shipping product 
Um, fewer units more often was a big deal. And then I would also yeah. say helping our retailers who had e-commerce platforms really lean into that and provide enough content and enough freshness to continue that, that dialogue with the consumer. Um, and as the year started going, as we, um, uh, as we came into Q3 and Q4, we saw um, increases in both quarters to end the year approximately flat um, to 2019. And so we were really happy with that. Um, you know, the growth in the back half really leveling out the, the um, pandemic impact in second quarter. So we were very happy with that. And we could see real signs that this year is going to be when that boom really kicks in. And those people that are started experiencing the benefits of running in 2020 are going to, you know, they are going to become addicted and they're going to want um, to engage even further. And that indeed is happening, I would say. How great. I've been hearing all these tricks that people have used to, I guess, maintain that content flow. Were people shooting at home? <laughs> what were your tricks, I guess? Oh, yeah. I would say um, user-generated content in many fashions, for sure. Um, we have a small photo lab here, so we were doing things internally. Um, we did not have people on the road early on, but we did start to let um, our crew go out Um probably in June or so following all, all COVID protocols, of course. Um, I think that from a, from a marketing perspective, the team is incredibly creative and very scrappy and did a lot of stuff from home. Um, you know, when you have shoes in hand and, you know, really great content, you know, I, th I think we've been able to manage through it. Yeah. Any learnings from that, I guess, um, in terms of people on the road, in terms of people working from home, in terms of your, I, I guess, corporate workplace, like, are you guys going to go back to the office? Um, any changes in terms of co-workers, where you're working, what you're doing? <laughs> I know, right? It is the hot topic, I think, of what what is the future of work look like? Um, for us, in, we're, we're um, in Boston. Um, and Right now, the numbers started to climb. Um, the COVID numbers started to climb again a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. And so we're still basically in the same situation that we have been, where we have people coming in here and there to get samples and things like that. We don't, we have our office open, but people are predominantly working from home. We don't anticipate that changing dramatically until, you know, people are fully vaccinated and kind of the country starts to open. So we're kind of envisioning through the summer, maintaining, you know, coming and going as needed um, for to grab samples and things like that. Um, and then what we're doing right now is really strategizing what that future of back to work looks like. I don't have the answer today. Um, we are a collective of multiple brands in our building under Wolverine. And so we're working through that right now, but we definitely have heard loud and clear that, um, and have seen that we can be highly, highly productive, um, having more flexible schedules. And so I think we'll be incorporating that into, to the future and what things look like going forward. Great. Would you say that your website, your e-commerce site was prepared for all of this? I know there's some great, a great uh, shoe advisor quiz. I don't know if that was existing pre-pandemic, but anything that you needed to do to, I guess, get it up to, up to par uh, for the times. Well, I would say it's a, like running shoes. It's like a constant evolution, right? Of how do we improve the consumer's experience, the shopping experience online? And then also, I think, so I think that we have, um, um, 
a really nice platform on our website. I think we are constantly feeling like we can um, tell better stories and more stories, like not better stories. Our stories are wonderful, actually. It's more. It's like just being able to, to tell a consumer how great every product is or what's happening with the brand. You know, it's, it is a content engine and a, and a vehicle for a content engine. So we talk about wanting to inspire and educate on our website, not just, um, you know, sell. And so that's really important to us that we're, as we have, as retail has been shut down, we've kind of pivoted some resources to make sure that content flow continues. Um, the other thing I would say is this notion of unified commerce and making sure that I think certainly through COVID, what it has shown us is that um, the consumer is going to shop, the runner, the walker, the lifestyle, you know, style seeker, they are going to shop wherever they're at, wherever they want to, whatever their medium is. And so what it has shown us is, and what we're really focused on right now is a frictionless shopping experience wherever they're at. Um, and that I would say is around the globe. And so, you know, depending on which country you're talking about, your our, our e-commerce capabilities or just the maturity of our websites is different. Um, the maturity of our um, digital partnerships with retailers is different. And so really trying to be best in class around the globe, um, I would say, is our, our ultimate goal. What percentage of your sales are in the U.S.? Um, well, I can't actually speak to that, but I would say um, oh, that's we, okay. we have, um, we are in, um, when we think about regions, we talk about North America, um, Latin America, EMEA, and Asia PAC. And the U.S. is our largest of those. It goes U.S., EMEA, Asia PAC, Latin America. So, um, but we have a really nice, nice distribution of, of business across the globe. And do, do you say that's more uh, through online partners, digital partners, platforms, or um, physical retail? Is it about maybe comparable to what to what's happening in the U.S.? I would say actually that the U. Well, is, this depends, right? So um, the U.S. Um, obviously has ex actually I think around the globe it, we are seeing that um, digital commerce has accelerated around the globe. Um, the U.S. and Asia-Pac were more mature to begin with, and EMEA is very quickly coming along. I would say that that European consumer um, that traditionally shops independent boutiques has discovered how to continue shopping <laughs> through the pandemic Good. as well. So, so those um, digital players are increasing there as well. Um, and, you know, in Asia Pacific, we have a partnership there, a wonderful partnership where we've, we actually started, we were expected to open stores, um, Saucony standalone stores in March of 2020. And we pushed pause. Um, we did start opening stores in June. Um, and what we are seeing is that there is success with these physical stores and we're continuing to roll them out. We have about 30 at the moment. Um, but that, um, the um, digital piece of that is probably stronger than anticipated pre-COVID, um, simply because of, of, of the consumer behavior through COVID. What, what are the key components? What makes it, I guess, worth the trip? <laughs> well, I would say our, our China stores are incredible, actually. They're very performance oriented. They really lean into kind of top technology and feature, you know, highlight product features and benefits for runners, you know, with treadmills and gate analysis and great product marketing. Um, I would say that 
Um, we are fortunate to have partners that are retailers and they do an incredible back of house job to service, um, to service consumers in China. Um, there's absolutely a running boom coming in prior to the pandemic coming into China. Um, and so we're able to capitalize on that. And we're also doing a lot of grassroots events, um, in China as well. That's part of the whole strategy. So I think the combination of being a, um, a premium brand, a premium performance brand with a really strong, beautiful store footprint and a digital experience, you know, simultaneously is something that um, it's just it's just a recipe for success for us there. You mentioned Wolverine Worldwide, your parent company. Yeah. Um, what's been the benefit of having um, having a parent company going into the pandemic? Um, and yeah, for listeners, also parent of Keds and Sperry and Many well-known brands, not that many, but various well-known brands. Um, yeah, talk to me. Yeah, we are a collective of 12 brands. And I would say that um, one of the benefits that you get being part of Wolverine as a smaller brand is that you have back-of-house um, systems and resources that are like a plethora, like just, you know, significantly more than you would if you were a standalone brand. And so I think that we all saw, I think the world saw the ability to be nimble and agile throughout the pandemic um, was required. And I think having so many resources, it really allowed us to do that um, on the ground in different parts of the world. Um, and so that was an absolutely huge benefit for sure. And then, you know, I also think that there's a lot of learnings as you you know, as I partner with my peers and the other brands, there's a lot of learnings to see what's working and what's not and um, how people are connecting, engaging, and just making sure that we're all um, closely communicating to be able to respond, particularly in the crisis, you know, through the crisis to be able to do that um, and learn from each other. Tell me about 2021. Uh, you're seeing a continued boom, um, that kind of taking off more runners, more customers. Uh, what are your expectations for the year? Um, we are quite bullish for 2021. We're very excited. We have an earnings call coming up in about six weeks. So, um, um, you know, we did close Q1 and we we believe that um, we'll just have continued uh, continued results through the rest of the year. So we're pretty bullish about that. I think that for us, there's a couple of things in our favor. I would say coming into the year, we have an incredible product pipeline, both on the performance side and also on the original side. Um, on originals, we have the Jazz 40th, which has um, a ton of, of really interesting stories through our packs that we're launching. Um, we have the Jazz Court RFG that I spoke of earlier. And then we have a sh our Shadow original, which celebrates its 30th anniversary later in the year. So what we've done there is we just have um, lots of fun stories that are really related to, I would say, um, um, what consumers and people are going to be experiencing as, as we're coming out of the pandemic. So we really think that those stories are going to resonate um, with lifestyle consumers. So we have that. We have on the performance side, every single one of our core styles that, that runners love. I say core. It's really the ones that runners love by us. The Convara, the Ride, the Guide, the Triumph, and the Endorphin series, all of those are gorgeous that are launching and we're starting to see those launches happening starting in May. 
So that'll be the nice back half of the year. So our product pipeline is really very strong. And then you have the benefit of um, the pandemic and the running boom that, like we said, will continue, I think will just continue for the next few years. And in, and we actually believe that the, the running boom and the get outside boom is actually going to trigger kind of trend for performance and the running silhouette for the next two to three years. So um I think it's it's just it's a really fun time um, to be in running. Sometimes, you know, I feel a little bit guilty because I know other businesses aren't benefiting as well. You know, some are really, you know, those in physical fitness are benefiting. And so I, I try to think of it as just this opportunity for us to be the best of the brand that we can be, to continue to engage with with runners and consumers and really lean into um, inspiring people around around running. Right on. Well, I have to ask before we sign off, I know your your background includes, I guess, stints at Nike and Brooks. Are you a runner? Are you obsessed with running? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a runner. I would consider myself a runner. I, I love to do other things as well. I'm also a working mom. And um, so I do not run like I used to run. That's for sure. But I get out there. I try to get out there on a regular basis. I'm currently, I, I was doing awesome. Um, up until probably a few months ago when my plantar fasciitis kicked in. So I too have injuries that I have to deal with. Uh, you know, what it is, is I think that, um, running is really powerful in people's lives. And I think it's one of those things that once you get going, um, you see, you know, almost instantly you see physical benefits, which are, you know, for those of us who care, uh, you know, like some of us are very motivated by that, myself included, but also I would say mental, right? That you just start to feel more confident and have more strength and more like you just feel healthier. And so I think it's one of those really easy activities that you can see um, strong improvements in your life on, on multiple levels. And um, so um, you know, I would encourage everyone that is searching through all of this and or questioning if they should go back to the gym and or wanting to complement their gym with another workout that, you know, just slip on a pair of running shoes and go out and see what it does for you because um, it, it is addictive. And um, when you then when you when you're able to be there you know, to get to a certain fitness level, then you feel comfortable joining the community and the running community is incredibly inspiring, very celebratory. And like I said, I think it's going to be a big party in the back half of the year. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. To it. <laughs> well, thanks so much. And thanks for this conversation. This was great. Thank you, Jill. I really appreciate it. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.